Welcome everyone to the True Exact Show. I got Brian here. I got Eric, and we have a special guest. We figured since Shark Week's coming up, we do our own Shark Week, and we were referenced to the shark expert. I'm gonna say, and now if I say anything wrong, stop me in the middle of this. Shark expert, marine biologist, Dr. Catherine McDonald, based in Miami, Florida. Miss, oh, sorry, Catherine, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm great. Thanks, you guys, for having me on. No problem. We are really looking forward to this. It's a little bit outside of our comfort zone, like what we like to do. We're more of a hip-hop podcast, as I messaged you and said, but you were nice enough to come on, and we really appreciate it because everyone loves sharks. Everyone loves Shark Week. I think I'm watching some shark stuff right now upstairs. My dogs are watching it or whatever. So what we like to do first, how'd you get into this field? Introduce yourself. Tell the people about you. I was one of those, like, dirty little kids who just liked to run around outside and get into everything and like you know if a raccoon got hit by a car like I was like so if I brought this home that would be cool and my parents were like it definitely would not um, but that that was me so it was a pretty natural transition into like filthy field scientist nice so how how did the shark and aquatic marine life how did that take over so when I was probably seven, uh, I was visiting my great-grandparents in South Carolina, and somebody who was fishing from the beach where we were swimming caught a little bonnet head, probably like two or three feet long, not very big. And everybody on the beach was in a complete uproar about the fact that this shark had been in there with their kids, and oh my God, what if somebody got hurt? And I walked over and I looked at this thing and, you know, they had it lying on the beach and its gills were flexing and it was, you know, clearly really in deep trouble. And I was like, of everything here, I don't think the kids are what's in danger. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty traumatizing, actually. So you saw a danger in this fish and like you were one of the only ones on the beach who was like, I need to help this fish. Yeah. That's incredible. How do you go about going to school for that stuff? Like when you got into high school, did you go to high schools that had the courses for that or not really? No. Uh, a lot of times students will tell me that they think it's too late to work in marine science because they didn't take classes in high school that were relevant or sometimes they didn't take classes in college that were relevant. Uh, but the truth is there's a lot of different paths to working with sharks and there's a lot of different ways to work with sharks. So I have a PhD. I'm a scientist. I do field science, but I also teach at the University of Miami. Um, I, so I spend a lot of my time writing papers, writing grants, analyzing data. Uh, but, you know, I work really closely with members of my team who are boat captains, who spend most of their time, uh, you know, making sure the engines are running smoothly, making sure we're good to go, and then they help handle sharks. So you don't have to be a super nerd to end up working with sharks it does make some parts of it easier, but it's not a requirement. My, my wife's going to kill you when I sign up for a marine biology course right after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to be like, well, what did she say to you? <laughs> All right, let's get into some shark talk here. Um, Brian, I know you have a lot of questions, so I'm going to let you start this one off. So I know you're excited to talk about sharks. Let's do it, Brian. Go. Yeah, I have. I mean, I've always been fascinated with anything in the ocean, like my entire life. I don't know why. It's just ocean life in general is very, uh, it's almost alien to me because it's like we have, we're all on the same planet, but we're almost two different worlds completely, you know? And um, 
I just have a lot of, I've watched so many documentaries. I've watched so much National Geographic, Discovery Channel, all of them. Um, but I guess one of the first things I want to ask you, and this is something I don't think that any program that I've watched has really covered, but do, do sharks have any form um, of communication with each other that's known? Great question. Um, so sharks in general don't really make sounds. Mm -hmm. uh, so they don't communicate with each other audibly the way that a lot of terrestrial animals do. Um, but we, pro we probably don't know all of the ways that they might communicate with each other using chemical signals. Mm -hmm. And we know that they can communicate with each other visually. So research into juvenile lemon sharks in the Bahamas has shown that uh, juvenile lemon sharks have friends and enemies amongst other juvenile lemon sharks that remain stable over time, which mm -hmm. tells us that they can remember their previous interactions and whether they like you or they don't like you, and they can individually tell each other apart, which isn't something that we knew about them before. Wow. So clearly they are communicating, even if it's just by choosing to spend time together or not, uh, about what other juvenile sharks they like or don't like. Now with something like that, I mean, how do you go about researching that? Because are you, would you dive with them and then kind of watch their patterns of how they swim? Like I know that sharks have the electro sensors like in their snouts and they use that to obviously track prey and they can feel a fish in the, in the water flapping on the top or in distress or anything like that. But do they use that? to kind of sense each other as well? And then does it almost work like, um, I almost feel stupid saying it like this, does it work like almost a magnet in a way where like opposite ends, like polar ends of a magnet will push away from each other? So I physically it shouldn't, um, but they can definitely detect each other that way. So basically each of those little, they're called ampullae of Lorenzini, and they're tiny, very conductive, gel-filled pores that allow sharks to pick up electromagnetic signals. Mm -hmm. And electromagnetic signals can be anything from the magnetic field of the Earth, which you could theoretically use to navigate, um, mm -hmm. to the electrical signal that tells your heart to beat. Uh, so they'll actually use it to find hidden or buried prey. Uh, by its muscle contractions and heartbeat. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't, I, as far as I know, um, they don't use it on each other other than to detect each other. Uh, okay. Sharks and rays are quite closely related, but a lot of big sharks like to eat rays. Uh, mm -hmm. And they'll use those ampullae to find rays that have buried themselves in the sand, trying to avoid that exact scenario. Wow. Yeah, because I would say I would, I would find it really interesting if they found a way to kind of reverse that process and use those um, electromagnetic waves to kind of shoot out to kind of interact with each other. But I, how would you even go about measuring something like that? They have done studies that have shown that sharks can navigate mazes made with magnets. Mm -hmm. So they do respond to, to magnets being kind of placed in their environment. And there's been some research into whether you could use magnets as a, a protective barrier to protect beaches. And swimmers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like the bottom of a surfboard. I, I mean, it's one potential application uh, and there yeah. are products like the shark shield, which produce mm -hmm. an electrical signal, which is intended to have, I think a similar effect. That's awesome. uh, I, 
I wouldn't advise, uh, there are some places that market magnetic anklets and stuff uh, with that idea in mind. Uh, but I've seen someone wearing one of them have their ankle nibbled by a shark. So oh. I don't have high confidence in their effectiveness. Wow. Um, you may unintentionally attract a shark rather than repel it. I hope they kept the receipt for that. <laughs> I need to return this. That, that's terrifying though. I was surfing once and uh, I was way out in the water and I saw this truck come up across the beach and this guy's yelling. He like was a lifeguard yelling at everybody and everybody starts running off the beach. I couldn't hear anything. And then I swim in a little bit more and I hear shark, shark in the water. And I've never swam so fast in my life. But also it's like, I'm dead if he does anything to me. You know what I mean? Is there any suggestion if you're in that situation, what to do? So first of all, it's very unlikely that you'll ever find yourself in that situation. I just want to emphasize that to your listeners on the list of things that you encounter in your daily life that are more likely to be lethal to you. Obviously cars, um, but also your toaster, your staircase. Uh, oh, wow. You're more likely to be killed by a vending machine. Oh, uh, why? <laughs> you're, you're more likely yeah. to have a coconut fall on your head and kill you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's okay. good. So it's, it's very yeah. unlikely. Yeah. That right. said, if you do find yourself in a bad situation, firstly, don't overreact. It's not that uncommon for a shark to approach a surfer or a swimmer to find out what they are without any problematic intent. Um, so I've, I've seen people have a shark get, you know, within five feet of them and start trying to swing at it. Like, don't, don't punch a shark that's not doing anything to you. Yeah. Uh, once a part of your body would, is inside its mouth, though, the math on that changes. Right. Um, yeah. And at that point, uh, those ampullae around the snout are quite sensitive. The eyes are sensitive. The gills are sensitive. So when, when one would see my defense, and I don't know if this would ever work, I used to always look at people further than me, and I figured a shark would eat them first. So I was good before them. That's how I based it. Now, they always say, though, three feet of water. Is that some myth or no? Is, are you safer in three feet of water or neck deep? You're safer in shallower water, especially from larger sharks. They're not going to be eager to come into very shallow water. But the truth is that the majority of shark attacks, uh, I, I mean, and I use the word attack quite loosely mm -hmm. here. We, yeah. It's better to call them bites. Mm -hmm. um, the majority of them are people who go wading and step on a small shark and it bites okay. their foot. Wow. Uh, and I, saw, I saw you tweet that. I, I wanna, I'm going to paraphrase. Um, I saw you tweet that, like, this notion that they're mean people eating machines that they're portrayed in movies and stuff. That's just not true. So, like, they're not out to get us, correct? No. Uh, it's pretty rare, I would say, uh, for people to get into the ocean without a shark or a ray knowing about it, right? The ocean is full of sharks and rays, and they have incredible senses. Um, okay. If they were coming after us, you literally wouldn't be able to safely go for a swim. Yeah. Uh, they're just not. Their priority, for the most part, is avoiding us. Right. Well, it's the same thing with, like, with like aliens in movies. They're villainized. They're made to look like these monsters that are out to kill you and they're out to get you. Just because sharks swim around and they look scary. I mean, look, it's like anything else. They don't have hands. So the way they test things out is they take a bite. Unfortunately, That's exactly right. Unfortunately, with something like a great white shark, 
if it's an eight or nine foot shark, if it takes a bite, it might take your arm. But it's not necessarily out hunting you and trying to kill you. Yeah. The fact that anybody survives a bite from a great white tells you actually how uninterested in hurting a person they are because it would be much easier with a great white's mouth to bite down and take a leg off than to bite down and let go before you take that leg off. And yet they still often do that. We've heard the whole thing like they think we're seals or porpoises or whatever. Is that true? That's why they bite us or they're just curious? I don't think anybody can really answer that question because nobody can like ask the shark what it thought. Um, (laughs) But certainly we do present that silhouette um, that can look somewhat seal-like. I would say the majority of shark bite incidents happen in situations where it's difficult for the shark to tell what you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that silhouetted seal surfer example is a common one, but also if you think about really murky water or uh, right around dawn or dusk, when yeah. it's harder to look at you and ID you. Most coastal sharks have experience with people. People are everywhere. Uh, yeah. And so they see us and they're like, I know that's not a thing I want to deal with. That's not food. Let's move on. Uh, right. But mistakes do happen sometimes, but honestly, quite rarely. In 2019, there were 64 unprovoked shark bites globally and five fatalities. Hmm. Wow. Which on the grand scale of things, though, with the amount of people going to beaches, that's really not that much. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And which kind of leads into the next thing I wanted to ask. Now, I feel like there have been – I don't – and I don't want to. I don't want to say this the wrong way, but I feel like there have been more and more reports of more sharks coming much closer to shore, especially ones that aren't necessarily always found closer to shore, like great whites, like makos, tigers, things like that. Um, is are overfishing the oceans driving them more in towards the shores, looking for food? That is a great question. Um, Two in a row. It it may be a factor. Um, I would say the increase we've seen in recent years in great whites uh, along the New England coast Mm -hmm. probably has more to do with uh, their population recovery and seal population recovery than anything else as, as they're starting to recover based on their current protections. uh, We're, we're seeing more of them in habitats where they probably existed historically, but where we haven't really seen them for the last 70 years. Mm -hmm. Um, for some species, we know that their ranges are shifting in response to climate change. Uh, so some species may be found further north than they have been in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and definitely prey availability is an important factor. So um, I wouldn't be surprised to see a shark moving from depleted habitat to habitat that contains more fish, whether that's closer to shore or farther away. Yeah, and I was also going to ask because you said uh, the climate changing. How how much are the melting poles affecting like water currents and water temperatures that are also driving them in different areas that they're not necessarily found in? We're really just starting to get a handle on those effects. And I think that the ways in which they will change the oceans are not yet fully predicted and how sharks will respond to that. Um, but I would expect to see changes in habitat uh, Dr. Chuck Bangley, who's a, a good friend, um, 
did some of his work on shifting bull shark nurseries in the mm -hmm. Carolinas in response to climate change. Basically, nurseries for bull sharks are moving north a bit um, mm -hmm. as water warms. Uh, so yeah, I, I do think we'll see changes in, in where sharks are found. Uh, in general, you can think of, very simply, you can think of colder water as more productive, mm -hmm. containing more food, um, yeah. and warmer water as less productive, but also um, more comfortable for sharks because most sharks are what's called ectothermic, which mm -hmm. usually people think of that as cold-blooded. Their blood temperature is determined by water temperature. Mm -hmm. So they have limits for how cold they're willing to tolerate water being, but they also want to move towards that cold water because generally there's more food. And um, that's all sharks are ecto like that? Most sharks. Uh, there are a few cold water species uh, like great whites that mm -hmm. have a modified form of endothermy, which is warm bloodedness more or less like we have, uh, where they recycle heat from their muscles back into their blood as they swim. Uh, allowing them to raise their body temperature so that they can survive in colder habitats. That's really cool. Um, as, as someone who has a father who literally has not stepped in the ocean since he saw Jaws in 1975, <laughs> legit, that's a fact. Um, what are the more, I know like they're not out to get us, but are there more dangerous ones to watch mm -hmm. out for, like a tiger shark, a bull shark? Like, is there one that specifically is a little more aggressive? So there are, are over 500 species of shark. Mm -hmm. uh, although most people, if you ask them, can really only name, you know, right. great whites, tiger sharks, bull sharks, hammerheads. Um, the, the average shark is about two and a half or three feet long, right? They're, they're, most of them are just not very dangerous to humans. Mm. Um, so the difference isn't really that the ones we think of as dangerous are more aggressive so much as uh, they're, they're more likely to perceive us as a potential prey item, uh, and they're more likely to do damage when and if they do make a mistake. All right. That's well answered. All right, now I have my answer. Great. It, there, was a, um, there was a guy uh, about a year ago that I met. He worked for National Geographic. He did the camera work, and he uh, opened water dove with great white sharks. And, like, when he told me about it, I got in a long conversation with him, but when he told me about it, I was like, dude, I can't believe that, like, you're insane. I would, there's no way I could get in the water with a 12-foot great white shark. And he's like, well, believe it or not, and I want to know if this is true, uh, but this is his experience. He's like, you know, I've come across 15-footers, 16-footers, and free dive with them. And those ones are very calm. And most of the time you think they're going to be the ones like you'll be terrified of. They're going to eat you. And he's like, they're very calm. It's the juvenile ones that are six, seven, eight feet long. They're the ones that will take a bite at you because they don't know what you are. The bigger ones kind of know what human beings are. They just stay away from them. They'll check you out. They'll swim by you. But that's really the most they're going to do. That, I would say, broadly aligns with my experience working with sharks. Uh, in general, uh, when I work with a little tiger shark or a little, I mean, really any small species, they perceive us as a potential game ender for them, right? Mm -hmm. Like when they encounter us, they're like, that thing could kill me. This could be it. That's so I've got to get away. I've got to, I've got to fight for my life. 
And when we catch and land a big tiger shark, 12, 13, 14 feet on our platform, that tiger shark is much more powerful. It puts a fraction of the effort into resisting us because it just doesn't see us as a threat. It's okay. like, this is annoying. Yeah. <laughs> what, was, what was it like the first time you like saw the biggest shark you've ever seen up close? Like, what was that feeling like? Um, they, they are amazing. Uh, you have that wash of like adrenaline, right? And it never completely goes away. You get more used to it and it reduces down, but mm. I still have to sometimes like stop, take a breath, control for it. Mm. Um, I mean, and it's like a positive excitement for me yeah, yeah. for the most part, but you still, you still feel it. Um, but they're actually, I find them incredibly peaceful, right? Mm -hmm. They're very efficient swimmers and they, they just cruise. They're going about their business. They've been going about their business in more or less the same way for more than 400 million years. Yep. Now, one of the things we're taught, or I was through movies and whatnot, are dolphins our friends or no? If there's dolphins, <laughs> <laughs> if there's dolphins around, am I safer with sharks? Or that is a myth. You are definitely in more danger with of really? sharks. Because wow. sharks and dolphins eat a lot of the same fish. So if there are dolphins in the area because they're feeding, there are also sharks in the area who are feeding. Wow, you guys have heard this, right? Like, I'm not crazy. Okay. You guys have heard yeah. that. I've heard, so like, like, a dolphin, like, try to fight a shark to defend humans. But I don't know. I don't know. It's just dolphin propaganda. Who knows what that is? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so, good to know. <laughs> so people love dolphins in part, I think, because we see ourselves in them a little bit. You know, I mean, they're smart. They're social. They have these complex relationships. They're, they look like they're smiling. Hmm. Um, dolphins, a shark will kill a fish and eat it. A dolphin will torture a fish because it's bored. Oh my God. <laughs> I have a different outlook now. Dolphins are, so dolphins are essentially more evil <laughs> than sharks. That's Definitely. crazy. Yeah. It makes wow. the football team look a lot more vicious than <laughs> Miami Dolphins. <laughs> All right, that's good to know because I was the one who, like, when I would see a dolphin, I'd be like, oh, I'm good, and maybe now I'll go into the ocean. Little did I know I was putting myself in a little more danger. You were in more danger. <laughs> yeah, I was in more danger. <laughs> I was once running a shark tagging trip for a university that was part of, like, a larger field course, but it was just one day with me, and then they were going to do other things. I must have done four or five rounds with that university's lawyers and liability office on like the risks associated with going shark tagging and they wanted every student to wear a life jacket the entire time and they wanted you know none of them to like get closer than five feet to the shark and all this stuff and I was like I mean I don't care fine but also they're gonna miss out on a lot of stuff if they're standing five feet away in a huddle all wearing life jackets um and then the next day they went to a dolphin facility and one of the students got bitten by a dolphin Oh my, Jeez. that's crazy. Now, why places like one of the hotbeds for sharks, like Australia, I hear a lot. Um, why, why places like that or California? I know it might it just be the South weather Africa. or whatnot. So, yeah, yeah, around there. Why there? I mean, up here in Jersey, like, I don't know if you heard, we just, like, there was like a 400-pound great white found, like, yesterday. 
and some poor wow. lady actually, yeah, it was crazy. Like some people caught it or something. Uh, so I but, didn't catch it. They have a they have a tag on it, and every time it right. pings, it shows where it is, how far off the coast. All right, so yeah, they like there's one around here. So we we don't get them a lot, even though I think the movie Jaws was based on New Jersey shark attacks, there's right? A shark in yeah. the Manasquan River. That's it, Brian. Good for you, man. See, I know you everything. Take, you, should, you should take a. <laughs> I picked the wrong Brian. career. Your yeah. <laughs> new apprentice. Yeah. <laughs> so why? So why Australia as one of them, or, or California? Coral reef, so, my guess. If you if you think about those places, right? Those are all places with pretty cold water, um, with traditionally decent sized marine mammal populations, seals, sea lions. Mm -hmm. uh, and with significant upwelling near shore, right, which basically just means that the ocean brings deep waters to the surface there. That's what makes for good wave breaks, right? But it also makes for incredibly productive ecosystems. So f the same settings that surfers like for waves, great whites like for food. Okay. Uh, which is part of the reason that you do sometimes see conflict between those, those two groups. Right. Mm -hmm. That's cool. All right. You know what? There was there was one thing I watched not too long ago. Um, have you ever seen that the program they have on Netflix called Night on Earth? Mm -mm. Yes. Yes. It's very interesting. They have one. Um, there's two. Well, they do like different regions. They have one that's like uh, in the jungles. They have other one forest, but then they have ocean. I think it was like top water and then deep ocean. But the top water one, they go to. Um, I don't think it's Cape Town, South Africa. It might, it's somewhere in South Africa, close to there. But what they've uh, what they've seen is instead of great whites hunting at uh, like dusk, where the sun is just going down, they hunt completely at night because the the lights from the the town that are there cast a shadow on the water, and the seals that think that they're safe now because of the darkness, they're not seen they're actually seen by the great whites now. So they've adapted to use the light of the city in order to hunt the seals now. That, I mean, that's aligned with shark strategies broadly. Sharks, many species have quite good vision uh, relative to their prey. And so they do rely on that visual acuity to, to find and capture prey. And that's, oh my God, that's one thing I want to see so bad in real life. I want to watch a great white come out of the water and just blast the seal in the air, come back down with it. I mean, <laughs> when you see it, at least if you're me, there, there's not a lot of people who love sharks more than me. Right. And I was still rooting for the seal. I was go. like, yeah, you can make it buddy. Go. Yeah, no, I can't. Sorry. <laughs> no, I agree. It's, I couldn't watch it. I hate watching like the, na I know it's nature and stuff, but I can't watch those like, Filmmakers just stand by and watch like the deer get killed by, or like the antelope get killed by the lion. It's horrifying to watch. I couldn't do it. I yeah, what, about, what about when they're following polar bears that have no food left and they're literally watching them starve and they're like, well, I just got to watch this thing die now. That's horrible too. Help them out. Yeah. Help the guy out. Yeah. Um, Captain, I have to ask you because you mentioned like you hated seeing that. Do you eat fish or no? Or you like stay away from all that since you're in marine biology? Is that a common thing? A lot of marine biologists, it's like I, I can't eat what I'm studying. I think it varies a lot. Um, I, I eat some fish, uh, but not a lot of it. Mostly because I feel like I know too much. I'm like, we're friends. I can't, I can't go <laughs> home and friends, eat you. not food. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and I do fisheries work in parts of the Southern Caribbean and some of my research team was like, we got to try this, this like nerf shark curry. It looks awesome. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I cannot go home and look a nurse shark in the eye right. if I eat this yeah. curry. I'm not doing it. But different people draw the lines in different places, and I don't, I don't think there's one right place. Everybody's right, got to right. decide. It's like Lisa the vegetarian in The Simpsons. Not sure if you're familiar with She's going to eat the lamb, and she sees the little lamb in her plate, and she becomes a vegetarian. I always have to throw a Simpsons reference in. Sorry about that. Um, right. to, to get into a little darker spot with – Finning, okay. I didn't know about this till like our one friend, his girlfriend in South Carolina is like a marine biologist. She's into all that stuff. I don't want to say she's a marine biologist, but she's into that type of field. Sorry, Haley, if uh, I'm mis, I don't pronouncing your work or whatever. But she posted something with shark finning probably like six months ago, and I was like, uh, "This is horrible." I never knew about this. Uh, Brian, Eric, are you familiar with this? Yep. Finning. They cut them Yeah, Catherine, could you explain what it is, please, and how this came to be, how long this has been going on, and why there isn't as much attention drawn to this? I'm sorry if this is going to be tough for you to talk about, but it is hard. Go on. Uh, So shark finning is a fishing practice where uh, they'll cut the fins off the shark and throw the body back into the water, Uh, sometimes killing it, sometimes throwing it back in alive, um, but a shark without fins won't survive. So either way, it's bad news for the shark. Um, those fins usually are between 5 and 16% of a shark's total body weight. So obviously there's a lot of waste associated with that. Um, in some places, uh, fins might be collected as part of the trade in shark meat or other products, but... Um, there is a significant amount of fishing that goes on that's just intended to harvest fins. And the, the goal there is um, that they're very valuable. They, they sell for high prices. Um, unfortunately, especially uh, in the U S people tend to be like, so the problem is China yeah. because it's a cultural tradition there to eat shark fin soup. Uh, historically, it was only like the imperial court that ate it, but in recent years, increasingly, it's something that people serve on special occasions, you know, big business events, big life events like weddings. Uh, there isn't, you know, what any of us think is or isn't okay comes from our cultural background. Right. So we we tend to hear that some other cultures eat dog and we're like, Oh my God, that's awful. My dog is so sweet. But any cognitive test shows that pigs are at least as smart as dogs. Mm -hmm. And this country's like, bring me some more ham and bacon. I'm going to feed some of it to my dog. Who's a part of my family. (laughs) Um, This stuff is very subjective. So the problem isn't Chinese people or the things that their culture treats as food. The problem is a globalized fishery that isn't respecting sustainable limits on fishing. Right. Mm -hmm. So in from 2000 to I think 2011, the U S was the seventh uh, largest lander of sharks, right? We caught the seventh most sharks of any country in the world. 
and I think we exported the 13th most uh, volume of shark products. So this is part of a much bigger system that we are a piece of. Uh, the problem isn't something that other people are doing somewhere else. The problem uh, is a global problem that needs to be solved globally. I, I say all of this just because I know that this is one issue where people like to point the finger because they feel like they can be the good guy and somebody else can be the bad guy. Uh, but we're at a point in global conservation where humans are the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And it's up to us to work together to figure out how not to be. Right. I can't even like sit here on my high horse and whatnot because I eat meat and all that stuff. But like, I guess when you hear about, I don't know, to me, there's something different about like some animal just getting its head chopped off rather than a shark getting its fin taken off, thrown to the thrown back in the ocean and it sinks for three hours and just sits there and drowns. Yeah, to me, cool. that's like freaking horrifying. Like, how do you do that? Like, I, I don't know. I just, it's like a dolphin. They're torturing the fish. Why don't they eat the rest of the shark? Is it just because they want that fin and they throw the shark back and it's just a waste of space on the boat or anything? Or, or, and it's like, I guess it's a delicacy like uh, rhino's horns. You see all the videos of them ripping their, their horns off. So is shark finning, is that illegal? Is it in certain countries? Yeah. So uh, the first thing you said, you're absolutely right. Some of it is space on the boat, right? Uh, yeah. if, if you have a very low value shark body and high value fins and you have a small boat, yeah. chuck the body, save the fins. Um, the other thing I'll add is that while I agree that the process of finning is really inhumane, um, as a shark biologist who works with sharks all the time, I would not find it physically easy to correctly locate the brain and rapidly kill a shark, right? They have okay. very tough skin. They have pretty small brains for their skull size. They're not necessarily exactly where people would expect. Uh, and to get to it, you have to be up by the mouth. So if you're a fisherman, the, if your choices are between sort of putting yourself in danger for a prolonged sort of agonizing struggle with an animal or just chucking it back overboard, I understand mm. why you would wind up coming down on the side of chucking it back overboard. Yeah. It's it's not it's not necessarily just that you don't care about the animal's well-being. Right. I have to say you're pretty under like as someone who works in the field, I find you you're very understanding about this stuff. Um, it's it's like you're not trying to you're you're not trying to push the belief on like you're just aware some people think different ways. So like I wasn't expecting that honestly. Um, I was expecting um a lot of people in your field to be like just very anti everything. Um, as far as fish eating or finning, but um, I don't want to say you condone it, but you're very understanding about it. That's really cool. Have a lot of fins come from really low income countries. Mm -hmm. So if you think about, you know, what would you be willing to do to feed your kids, to get right. them medical care, to make sure that they could go to school? You, okay. you know, it's, yeah. we're quick to say like, oh, it's, it's awful to clear the rainforest. But if the way that I got antibiotics that my family needed was by doing that, I would do it. Right. So why aren't more people, you know, the world's messed up. Why aren't more people like that? Like, that's a great way to look at it. Like, you're not judging someone for looking at something from a different side. You're just understanding about it, even if you don't agree. Good for you, Catherine. Very but, happy. Very happy. Uh-oh, here's the butt. That said, <laughs> we do still need to find 
solutions that protect fishers' incomes, make sure that they aren't going hungry, and also ensure that we can have healthy shark populations into the future. Right. Uh, absolutely. And I always say you're going into their domain. Like I get mad when like they all hunt the shark that might have bit someone out in the middle of the ocean. Like you're, that's the that's the shark's habitat. So like if someone comes into your house, you're going to defend yourself to an extent. You know what I mean? So um, I'm with you on that. Brian, any more questions? I know you had a lot. Yes. Um, okay. <laughs> how, and it probably varies by species, but how often uh, throughout the year do sharks breed? It, it varies considerably by species. So uh, some sharks and rays carry a litter every year, occasionally even multiple litters in a year. Uh, others reproduce every three years, every four years. Um, their reproductive strategies vary a lot. You can kind of think about it as um, you can have fewer pups and have a better chance of each individual pup surviving, mm -hmm. or you can have more total pups with each individual being smaller and having a reduced chance of survival. Yeah. And so across those many species, sharks make a variety of different trade-offs on number of pups versus size and fitness of pups. So um, when, the, I'm sorry, keep on. I was just gonna say the frilled shark, which is a deep sea shark, actually has the longest known gestation period of any vertebrate which is uh being pregnant for three and a half years wow wow that's a long that's time a really long time that's Jeez. awesome now deep, now deep sea sharks grow really slowly right like very low yeah. resource availability in the deep ocean so it takes time wow now often is it smaller sharks will have uh more pups in a litter and as opposed to larger sharks that's not too uncommon, uh, and you can imagine exactly why, right? Smaller mm -hmm. sharks are more likely to be prey. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, the, the trade-offs may be different. But even there, there are some small sharks that will give birth to only two young uh, and make them as big as possible before they give birth. Uh, there are other sharks that will maximize for numbers and hope for the best. Mm -hmm. Since they're so high in the food chain, what's the probability of a, of a pup shark making it to adulthood? So uh, it probably varies by species and we don't necessarily have the best numbers on this. Um, but plenty of things are happy to eat juvenile sharks, uh, including most bigger sharks. So mother sharks, when they give birth, actually release an appetite suppressing hormone uh, so that they won't be tempted uh, by the offspring that they're giving birth to. So m most sharks, after they're born, you know, run off to spend some of their early lives in nursery habitat where big sharks are not present. Often that's like mangroves or shallow water, places mm -hmm. where they're at less risk for getting eaten until they're bigger and more able to um, avoid being eaten. Wow. I didn't know yeah, that. I was going to ask, how long do they stay with uh, the mother? Most of them, no time at all. As soon as, as soon as they're born, they're often on their way. And they're really born complete, knowing how to be a shark. Hold on. So this big shark carries around his or her, his or her offspring for three years, and that shark just leaves? 
I'd be pissed. Yeah. I'd be like, what? I'd say the same thing. I'd be like, get this thing out of me. I'm gone. Don't, don't <laughs> yeah, like, show some respect. Bring me back some food. I carried you around for three years, you know? Um, one thing I want to ask you, and I agree with you on this. You posted about Shark Week and the schedule. Okay. I'm with you on this. I don't need – now, I don't want to blow your spot up here. This is all me talking. I don't need to see Will Smith diving. I don't need to see Mike Tyson running on the beach fighting a shark. I want to see educational shit. Sorry for my language. I want to see educational stuff. I want to, like, hear about the stuff you're talking about. I want to see the people tagging the sharks, following them to his habitat. What are we doing? When did this become such a phenomenon that we need to see these celebrities dive with sharks? I don't give a shit. So, like, is that a common anger amongst you guys that there's – it's becoming, like, this popular thing where it's watered down now with education? Yeah. So, I, I guess I'm grateful that people care about sharks, right? You know, I, I mean, I know lots of people who study species that most people just aren't interested in. Right. You know, you, you, you study tiny marine polychaete worms. You try to get people excited about your research and they're like, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, right. But at, at any, at any cocktail party, I'm like, oh, I'm a shark scientist. And people are like, let me talk to you. <laughs> so I do appreciate the fact that there's this passion for them. And I think that that, you know, has hurt sharks in some ways, right? Jaws drove a big push for fishermen to land great whites and kill them. Um, mm. But it also benefits them, right? We're talking about their conservation. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I don't want to sound ungrateful. Uh, that said, I think that there are, I think that people want to learn. I do yeah. think there's appetite for it and they don't treat their audience like that's true. Yeah. Um, very little of this week's schedule looks meaningfully educational to me. Uh, so that's, that's always a little bit disappointing. And I'm always also frustrated to see that they almost exclusively feature white male scientists when there are plenty of women and people of color working in shark science. Uh, and it just it gives a false impression of the field. Yeah, I saw you tweet about that, too. You don't think women are represented enough in the marine biology shows. And um, I, I mean, I wouldn't know that uh, as much as you do. But I guess when I when I watch, I'll keep an eye out now. But when, when I when I do watch, I guess I rarely see uh, female divers is maybe they just yeah, I don't know why they do that. I, I couldn't answer that. It's stupid. Um, if you guys if women are a part of marine biology, too, you should be featured as much. So, um, yeah, I'd be frustrated too if I was you. You guys work your ass off. This isn't an easy field. I mean, like, this is, this is shit I wouldn't even think of doing. I wouldn't even I, – I don't even get in my – I used to not get in my pool when I saw a spider floating around. Like, I would, <laughs> I'd have my – I'd have my, like, brother come out and skim it and be like, I'm not getting in today. Tomorrow's a new day. So I can't imagine getting in a, a, an ocean with a shark. So you guys definitely need the recognition you deserve. How do people get approached? Uh, do they get approached by the network? Like, how are people featured on it? Who decides – who, you know, would, what would put you on their radar compared to anybody uh, else? So I, I, mostly production companies 
uh, come up with a pitch for a show and then take it to Discovery. Okay. So a, a little bit the problem is that you know, each of those companies has scientists they've worked with in the past, and those are going to be the first person mm -hmm. that they think of when they're thinking about a new show. Uh, yeah. And part of the problem is that those shows overwhelmingly feature the same species over and over again. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can imagine that, like, the amount of money you need to have as a scientist to study great whites is a lot more than the amount that a scientist needs to study black tips close to shore, which are one of the species that I work with. Um, mm. So it favors scientists who are a bit more established, who have more money, um, and that tends to be white men. Right. Now, that, now like when, um, obviously we were referenced to you by Dr. Uh, Schiffman, so uh, is he one of the, uh, I'm happy you referenced you, um, have you guys worked together? How did, how did you guys come in contact? We did our PhDs together. Uh, we were in the same uh, incoming mm -hmm. class of PhD students at the University of Miami in 2011. Oh, wow. All right, cool. The U. The Miami's the U, right? Yeah. <laughs> the, the U. <laughs> the U. All right, uh, I have to ask this because my wife will come if I don't. This is her question. Um, how do you feel about cage divers who do it? Not cage divers, um, like you go to the Bahamas and it's like a spectacle. You go in a cage and sh like it could draw sharks closer and they're kind of looked at as a zoo animal, if you will. How do you feel about that? Are, are you against that or it doesn't really matter? I, I'm, I'm like the annoying person who's always like, well, it's complicated, but <laughs> it's complicated. All right. Um, I, I think that, you know, on the one hand, shark tourism can be a sustainable way for sharks to generate revenue for coastal communities. And there are places where that's working. Um, but I also think it has its own set of impacts, both on sharks, because normally they're feeding them to bring them in. Uh, and so if you're feeding them, is that appropriate food? Is it nutritionally valuable? Are they still going to be hunting if you're feeding them? Are you affecting how they sort of perform their ecological function? Uh, but also if you're drawing them in, are you concentrating them? Uh, and as we've all had to unfortunately learn from COVID, if nothing else, when you gather a bunch of people together, they're more likely to trade germs. When you gather a bunch of sharks together, they're more likely to exchange parasites and other pathogens. So, you know, there are costs to sharks associated with being part of that, including, you know, if you condition them to come to a boat, uh, they're at much greater risk of being fished out. Okay. Uh, they're also then at risk of getting hit with the propeller of the boat. And I've seen sharks with injuries consistent with a propeller strike. Um, so there's, there's good things and bad things about it. Um, if it presents them in this bloodthirsty way. So a long time ago, before I went back to grad school, I went out cage diving in South Africa as part of a fellowship that I was working on. And um, the, the mate on the boat as we were driving out to the site was like, don't stick your hand out of the cage because they'll bite it off like that. Okay. And I was like, that's bullshit. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you don't want to have to have the argument with me about whether I'm allowed to or not, right? Right. Like, 
because because the truth is like you're not allowed to put your hand out of the cage if you do i'm gonna pull you out of the water and you're not gonna be allowed to get back in right like that was that was the rule as he should have communicated it but he didn't want to have to deal with people being like well but like what if i just put it out a little so instead he says that the shark's gonna take your hand off and i'm like you're giving all of these people a really false impression of what's happening here right and and like so many shark tourism operators argue that they have a conservation benefit because they change people's minds about sharks, but not if they're using that kind of messaging. Yeah. Right. This is lazy because you don't um, want to take the time to show them and talk to them. You're just saying, yeah. Back to back, just to backtrack a bit about the shows on and there's not enough women, you know, it kind of like would piss me off. Cause I feel like, for them to put on a woman-based show, you'd have to have, like, women in the title. You got what I'm saying? It'd be, like, women in the wa- women in the water with sharks or something. And then they'd be, like, this will sell. You know, when it shouldn't have to be like that. You know, it should just be Shark Week with marine biologist Catherine McDonald. You know, but uh, if it had, like, some salacious title, they'd be, like, let's Maybe sharks. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, and you, you know that if a dude expert is on there, he just gets to be an expert. But if I'm on there, there's going to be commentary about what I look like and how I talk and whether I'm as smart as other people who are on there and whatever else because I'm a woman. Yeah. I saw you post that too. I saw you tweet. I've been stalking your Twitter lately. Sorry about that. You are more than welcome on my Twitter. I saw, I saw, I saw you tweet that too. You were like, uh, it was good. You like threw a shot at people. You were like, uh, by the way, guys, anyone watching Shark Week? Once again, paraphrasing. Anyone watching Shark Week? We don't need to hear about emails, looks during the damn show. Like, no I one have, yeah. I have a friend who was featured a few years ago. And literally the little Chiron at the bottom of the screen that, you know, has people's tweet reactions to the show, they literally ran stuff about her appearance Wow! at, at the bottom of the screen while she's talking as an expert. And you're just like, Whoa. yeah, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to ask you what it said. Maybe when we stop recording, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, no, it was PG. It was PG. Yeah, but like that shouldn't be what's on there. It shouldn't matter. It shows how how stupid people are, right? She's like, okay, well, they're they're from birth to this, they're doing this, and just under, she's so hot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 uh, I hate to laugh. I'm sorry about that. But yeah, it, it is just people are out out of the it's ordinary. Dumb. Dumb. I'm good with my questions, Brian. Do you have any more? No, that's all I got. I, I have questions about the general oh. ocean. Um, the Great Barrier Reef, is that a big issue? And could you, do you study that at all? And, and the health of it? No? No, I mean, no. I, can, I can say a few things about it. I'm not, uh, I'm not so ignorant that I can't answer that question as a marine scientist, but I'm not an expert either on corals or Australia. Um, but the short answer is that reefs all over the world uh, are in really deep trouble. And that is partly because we're dumping fertilizers and pollutants into the water that give algae an advantage over corals, right? Mm-hmm. If, you give, if you give reefs more nutrients, algae can grow faster and outcompete corals. It's partly because we're warming the oceans and corals are not adapted to survive at the temperatures that we're reaching now. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've heard of coral bleaching, uh, yep. corals rely on algae to produce a lot of the energy that they use to build their own skeletons 
um, and meet their own metabolic needs. Uh, and they have these tiny algae inside their own tissues. They're called zooxanthellae. And when it gets too hot, the photosynthesis within those zooxanthellae starts to break down and that symbiotic relationship breaks down and those dead or dying zooxanthellae are released into the water. And those are what give coral their colors. So then they look bleached. Okay. Um, and without those zooxanthellae, they start to starve and die. Uh, they can bleach for a while, and if, they're, if the water cools back down and they're able to take on new symbionts, new algae into their tissue, they can survive bleaching, although it's still costly. Uh, it's, like, it's like being very sick for a while. You know, mm -hmm. you, you might survive it, but you still lost a bunch of weight and lost a bunch of muscle tone, and it takes time for you to get back to full health. Uh, yeah. But they're bleaching now over and over again. On some reefs, they're bleaching every year. And so they can't recover fast enough, really, uh, to hang on. So wow. they're suddenly having more competition from algae. Their own health is taking this really severe hit from warming. And um, they're having more difficulty calcifying their skeleton because of ocean acidification, right? The, the compounds that they need to build that skeleton are less available to them. Uh, and across those three things, we're seeing massive declines. Plus, here in Florida, we've had huge disease outbreaks uh, among corals. Uh, again, mostly associated with warmer weather. Some of those diseases associated with human sewage being released onto reefs. Uh, on the Great Barrier Reef, they've had big problems with outbreaks of coral predators, like the crown of thorns starfish, that munch their way across reefs. So increasingly, our reefs just aren't healthy or resilient enough to survive what we're throwing at them. For not for a non-expert, that was a hell of an answer. I literally towards the end I started to smile. I was like, "Wow, she doesn't know." Oh, I'm not an expert. And then my other question was um, the Pacific plastic patch. I forget the Great Patch. I forget the term. The triple P, right? The triple P. Triple P, as we call it out in the street. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how bad is that? Because, I mean, I've seen, like, these documentaries where it's not just that it's a giant patch of plastic, but it's eventually broken down, and then the animals are eating that. One of my fa my favorite sea animal is sea turtles. And oh. when I was in Hawaii, I was swimming around, and it took everything in me not to touch them. You're not allowed to because we have germs and stuff, but they're, they're awesome. You see them, they're all messed up. they got a straw on their nose. Like, it's just – it makes you really rethink plastic. And I saw some guy throw a plastic cup out of his car on the driveway like on the highway the other day and I wanted to follow him and tell him to pick it up because you know it's not cool but do you study any of that or you're not an expert but you're probably going to school us again for, for a little bit <laughs> I'm not an expert but I can I can say some things about it okay. uh, so the the biggest problem with plastics honestly is that we don't totally know what all of its effects will be so plastics that get dropped into the ocean, get broken down into very, very small pieces, but that doesn't mean that they've disappeared. Um, and if you think about the marine food web, the bottom of that food web is, is plankton, right? And zooplankton. So plankton are, are tiny plants. Zooplankton are tiny animals that eat those tiny plants. Uh, a lot of important species that we care about, like whale sharks and basking sharks, uh, filter feed out large volumes of those plants and animals to meet their metabolic needs. So suddenly those plants and animals are also full of tiny little pieces of plastic. 
Um, and we've seen that they are that those bits of plastic are bioaccumulating up the food chain. So you find pieces of plastic now incorporated into the muscle tissue of swordfish and sharks and tuna. Yeah. Um, you know, often below the level where, you know, the human eye could see it. Yeah. Uh, and we're starting to find those in human bodies too, right? Uh, yeah. So it's not clear really how bad that is for us or for them. Uh, but we're conducting a really giant experiment that we don't know the outcome of, uh, and assuming that it'll be okay. Yeah. Another great answer by a non-expert. <laughs> uh, three things I took from this really quick. I didn't pay any attention in biology. I wish I had. Um, you said a bunch of words I can't spell. And the, is there seaweed in ice cream? Uh, in some ice cream, yes. Okay, I always thought so. People thought I was crazy. <laughs> I just wanted verification on that. All, All right. of the things we went over, those are the three things you took away. <laughs> no, I took away a lot more, but those are the three I was like, I have to ask if there's seaweed and ice cream. Uh, Catherine, all right, we do a final segment on this show. It's called the gun to your head segment. It's kind of a this or that or a would you rather, right? We okay. keep score, okay? So we have a tally here going on. I'm in the lead with five wins. Eric on your left bottom here. Wave, Eric. There he is. He's got four. He's about to three-peat unless you say differently. Brian up here also has four wins who's been slacking lately. Now, what we do is we ask you five questions each, and you give answers, and then at the end you have to pick a winner who you thought asked the funniest or best question, okay? Are you ready? Yes. Okay, I came in uh, third place last time, so I will go first. All right. Would you rather watch Deep Blue Sea or listen to Baby Shark? Oh. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep. Do I have to listen to Baby Shark for the entire duration yes, of Deep Blue yes. Sea? Yes, it's that, yeah, the length of Deep Blue Sea. She's such a scientist. <laughs> this is complicated. <laughs> I'm going to go with Deep Blue Sea, but I'm not going to be happy about it. You don't think that when the guy did the front flip over the shark, he that, that was real? Like when the shark was about to attack him, he did a front flip? I haven't flip. seen it. Oh, God, it's the all worst right. movie of all time. Please watch it. All right. Would you rather watch the Jersey Shore or just spend a day at the Jersey Shore? Easy. Let's go to the beach. Okay, we're pretty polluted up here. All right, um, Miami Dolphins or Miami Marlins? Animals or sports ball teams? Sports teams. Uh, Marlins. Okay, that's fine. Would you rather swim with a school of clownfish or fish with a clown? Is he the bait or my fishing partner? Your fishing party. big boat. I mean, it wouldn't have changed my answer. I would rather swim with fun. <laughs> okay. All, right. All right, last one from me. Oh. Uh, as far as shark puns, would you rather say any fin goes or that's jaws dropping? Oh. So terrible. <laughs> I'm I'm going with any fin goes. Okay. I think you I have do. to say that you have to use that if you ever get on Shark Week. Yeah, <laughs> like, hey, you want to go with anything goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right, uh, Brian, you're up. All right. All right, first one. <clears throat> Would you rather fight an octopus or go one round in the UFC octagon? Fight an octopus. I've had to do that before. Really? Really. Uh, we, we hooked one on our shark lines once, and uh, it, it was very weird to try to unhook something that was trying to grab you back. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's They're so smart, too. They're very smart. Wow. All right, second one. Would you rather be swallowed by a whale or swallow a snail? I guess swallow a snail. I feel bad. That's <laughs> cargo, right? Is right? Is on? Yeah. Yeah. Brian with the rhyme game there. Go on. Would you rather sell hermit crabs or be a crabby hermit? <laughs> Definitely the second one. <laughs> Uh, what's better, electric eels or Elio's pizza? Oof. I mean, I've got to go with the eels. Yeah, I mean, right. we're not we're not talking about to eat, right? We're just like <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just in general. Eels. Yeah, eels are awesome. Easy, Brian. Like easy. they they Brian. have a second set of jaws inside their first set of jaws. Yeah, they are amazing. I did not the know fact that. that they produce an electric current like that. <laughs> All right, last one. Who would you rather meet? A seagull named Steven or Steven Seagal? I guess Steven Seagal, because I, <laughs> I bet he could convince a bunch of people to care about sharks who wouldn't listen to me. He Probably. might. Hey, don't sell yourself short, Catherine. <laughs> All right, Eric, okay. you're up. Trying to repeat here, no pressure. Uh, I'm nervous. Okay. Um, would you rather be a hermit crab or a loner lobster? A lobster. Lobster? Okay. Great start. Um, would you rather be caught in a Sharknado or a humpback hurricane? A Sharknado, I think. It's more localized. The danger is lower. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. He analyzes all these. <laughs> I know. <laughs> would, you rather, would you rather be on the show Shark Tank or stuck in a tank with a shark? Definitely the second. Okay. Really? If you if you were trapped with one, would it would you rather be with a polar bear or a bipolar shark? The shark, a hundred percent. Polar shark. bears hunt people; sharks don't. Okay. okay. Um, and what's more dangerous, rising tides or tide pods? I definitely sea level rise. Okay. All right. All right, All right. But don't eat tide pods. All right, Kathy, you got to pick a winner. What question stuck out? What, what was your favorite one? Oh. Not me. I think yours made us laugh the hardest as a group. It's, it's, you gotta but, I, but I hate contributing to, to you pulling further ahead. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. You have to go with your heart yeah. here. Yeah. All right, you're going to take it. And then I, I, it that's there. a clear victory. Sorry, I'm sorry. That's uh, a clear that was a clear victory, by the way. You want to talk about a trouncing? That was a trouncing. That was a body bag. That was a 3-0. That was just a beatdown on Brian and Eric. Miss, uh, sorry, I was going to call you. Dr. Catherine McDonald, thanks for coming out. Where could we catch you on Twitter, Instagram, uh, plugging stuff you, you're going to be on or where we can see your stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at, at Dr. underscore Catmac, C-A-T-M-A-C. 
uh, on Instagram, the same, but without the space in between. So just Dr. Catmack. Right. And um, my website is drcatherinemcdonald.com. So if you are a marine scientist uh, in your heart, uh, you can reach out to me and I can give you some advice towards becoming a marine scientist in places other than your heart. Once again, this was real awesome. Um, this was so cool that you came on. I really appreciate it. Um, if we ever have any shark questions again, um, would you yes, want please. to come on again? Yes, 100%. Right. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, guys. It's been so much fun.